0: Now, as some of you are aware, I I love watching movies. And so even though I'm quite young, I've actually seen my fair share of movies, and in particular, escape movies. Movies like Escape from Alcatraz, Escape from New York, Escape from Planet of the Apes, Escape from Zombie Island. I'm not saying these are good movies, I'm just saying there's a lot of them out there And if you've seen any escape movies yourself, you will know that they almost always finish once the escape has happened, don't they? You know that once our hero has gotten out of jail, once our hero has gotten off the planet, away from the island, that's pretty much when the credits roll and the movie finishes, Okay, you might get a brief scene of the hero sipping a drink on a beach but at the end of the but it's always very brief because it's all about the escape. Now you see, that is where the New Testament Book of Romans is different. See, I don't know whether you've noticed it or not, but so far in the book, in the eleven chapters that we've already looked at in the book so far, it's been all about an escape. It's been all about our escape from God's judgment. Even though we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even though we deserve to be punished, we have escaped the punishment. God himself has pardoned us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf on the cross. It's been an extraordinary escape. But whereas that would be the point where most movies would finish, Romans now keeps going. Because as well as describing how we have escaped, Romans now wants to tell us what we have escaped to. God wants us to know the sort of life that we are now to live as escapees. And that's what starts to happen in this morning's Bible passage. Because the way Romans works is that today's reading, which is only a short one, isn't it? two whole verses but they're really important verses because they pretty much set up the rest of the letter because in chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 what the apostle Paul does is he lays down three very important life lessons about how we are to live now that we have been uh, now that we have escaped from sin and they are three very big lessons, three very all-pervading lessons in life. They're actually three lessons that Paul is going to sort of return to time and time again and apply to different situations in the rest of the letter so as to flesh these lessons out, so, as to, so that we'll really feel the full implications of them. And as such, the main challenge, I suspect, of Romans for us is going to shift somewhat in this final instalment. Because in the chapters leading up to this, if you've been here for the second instalment earlier on in the year, part of the challenge has been pretty well to understand what it is that Paul's actually been telling us. Because some of the chapters have been really hard to work out. But now the challenge of Romans is not so much to understand what Paul is saying, the challenge is going to be for us, because it's pretty clear what he's saying, the challenge is going to be for us to actually do what he's saying. So here we are, back for third go in Romans. We've had Romans 1 to 11. We know that we are sinners who, through Jesus Christ, have escaped from the judgment of God, but what's the lifestyle that we've escaped to? How now do we live? Well, three important things to bear in mind. The first being, God's mercy towards us now shapes everything we do. Verse 1. Therefore... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Or quite literally it says, in view of God's mercies. It's a plural word that's used. In other words, in view of all the kindness that God has shown us, in view of every act of grace that he has showered upon us through Jesus Christ, in view of all the things that he's told us in the first 11 chapters, in view of all of that, live your life now with those things in mind. Okay, don't let past hurts define who you are. Don't let past upsets define... Don't don't be categorised by what job you happen to have. Don't be categorised by your interests or, or, or by your hobbies. Let God's mercy towards you define who you are and how you now live. It's actually a very Christian thing to say. Every other world religion, it's about doing things in order to earn God's favour. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about responding to God's favour. As we've already been told in chapter 5, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we don't do things in order to be saved. We've been saved and now we do stuff in response. And it's not even a payback sort of thing here either. You know, it's not that God has done this for us in Jesus and therefore we must do this, this and this to pay him back. That, that, that that undermines the whole notion of mercy. See, imagine someone gives you a present. Oh, sorry, you give someone a present. Just because you love them. It's not their birthday, it's not an anniversary, it's not, just because you love them, because you care for them. Just as a random act of kindness, you, you, you give them a, you give them a gift. But then the next day they turn up on your doorstep and give you $10 as a first payment for the present. And they say they'll be back the next week to give you another payment. You'd be a bit hurt by that, wouldn't you? That, what does that say about how they view the, the friendship? And yet that's how some people seem to think about God, that, that he's up there now expecting us to do good works as, as sort of installments to pay him back for what Jesus has done for us. That's not it at all. Please, if you're here this morning at church thinking that you're here this morning somehow paying back a debt that you now have with God, that's not mercy. We have escaped judgment. We have been saved by grace simply because God wanted it. No other reasons, no strings attached. And that is the wonderful security in which we now live. That is the wonderful sense of ease and freedom with God with which we now live. And it's in view of that mercy. That we now live. Which may be what some of us here this morning need to most stop at in this very first point. Maybe this is the point you need to stop at and think through most of all today. Do you know the mercies of God in Christ? Have you accepted the mercies of God? Because for the remainder of this passage and over the next few weeks... Paul's going to go on and tell us lots and lots and lots of things to do now and and how to live. But if you haven't understood the mercies of God, you're going to get the wrong impression about that. And you're going to think that these are things we have to do now in in order to have it. They're not. They're things we do now because we've been saved in view of God's mercies. And so if you have not accepted the mercies of God, sure, Keep listening to what Paul's going to go on to say, but please don't get confused. Being a Christian is firstly about receiving the mercies of God. You might need to talk to someone this morning if you're still not sure whether you've done it. But Paul's going to go on because now now that we've escaped from sin, the second life principle he wants us to know about is that living in view of God's mercy, it's an all-of-life sort of thing. And he brings this out by describing us as living sacrifices. Verse 1 again. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now this is an interesting verse because he's very deliberately choosing words that tap into the Old Testament sort of temple sacrificial system. Words like sacrifice, bodies, holy, worship It's all picking up on the practice back in the Old Testament where Jews would go to the Jerusalem temple and they'd offer animals as sacrifices so as to please God. And Paul here is turning it all on his head so as to make the point that whereas Jews used to go and offer dead animals to God, we now, in view of God's mercy to us, we now offer our very selves as sacrifices to God. We now offer our entire lives as sacrifices to God. And this all-of-life emphasis, it, it's, it's reflected in the really vivid imagery there. I mean, he, he doesn't simply say we offer ourselves, he says we offer our bodies. That's a really graphic image, and I suspect it's partly to grab our attention, but also I suspect it's because, well, if you think about, what can you do without a body? Nothing. I mean, even just daydreaming, you know, when your head's off with the pixies, you still need a body to do that, really, don't you? You need a brain and a mind and a body to to even be daydreaming. And so to say we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, it's the same as saying in every single thing we do, we are living for God now. In every single thing we do, we are now striving to be holy and pleasing to God now. In every single thing we do, We want to be living sacrifices. Even just the term sacrifice applies an all-of-life activity because that's the thing about a sacrifice. It's what you completely hand over, isn't it? Sacrificially. It's all about surrendering. It's all about giving up. That's what we do now with our entire lives to God. See, when I drive to Gosford to see my mum, I drive through areas where my poor old little mobile phone does not get any signal. And it's not just my mobile phone, because when I look up the coverage maps, I can see that there's areas that I drive through that there's just no single, there's no coverage from my phone. They call it an exclusion zone. Now, if we were to somehow map out our lives before God, there are no exclusion zones. It is 100% coverage. Every category of life is covered here, okay? Work, school, with the family, with the friends, in private when no one's watching, at the dinner table, in conversations over morning tea, at the shops, what we watch on telly, what we do our Google searches on, everything holy and pleasing to God. And it's all the time. It's 24-7. We don't take the day off because we're having a bad day. You know, we don't take the day off. We don't stop being a living sacrifice because you know I'm feeling sick today and things aren't going my way. Living sacrifices always fully devoted to God in all things. And as Paul says, that this is our spiritual act of worship. Which is perhaps a little different to how some of us might think of worship. You know, lots of people, lots of Christians, even think of coming here to a church meeting as worship. You know, we say we're going to church to worship God, and and nowadays it's increasingly common to even speak of singing as worshiping God. Lots of churches they call the the song leaders worship leaders, which doesn't make a lot of sense in the light of what we've just read. Because according to Paul, we should have been worshiping God in the way we had breakfast this morning. And we should have been worshipping God in what we were thinking about when we were cleaning our teeth after breakfast this morning. And we should have been worshipping God in the way that we drove our cars here this morning. Because it worship is all the time. It's a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God everywhere. So sure, yeah, we do worship God at church, but that's only because we're worshipping everywhere. To say you come to church to worship God is a bit like saying I come to church to breathe. Because worshipping God and it's it's just what we do all the time now. Which leads to a third principle, that of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're into verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, this one springs very much out of what we just heard about, about being a living sacrifice where we were told that be holy and pleasing to God because that word holy, it actually means to be different. To be holy means to be distinctive, to to, to be separate. And now in verse 2, Paul is teasing out that idea by telling us that in order to be separate, in order to be different, in order to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world in order to stand out from the crowd, in order to swim against the flow, we are to transform ourselves by the renewing of our minds. In other words, it all starts by the renewing of... It all starts by thinking like God and not like the world. Because as our thinking changes, that will change our behaviour. That's the way it works, isn't it? Thinking Leads behaviour. I mean, if you think you need a new pair of shoes, actions will follow. You'll go down the street, you'll get a pair. If you think it's more important to own a house than rent a house, then you'll do what's necessary to be able to own a house. If you think it's okay to tell a lie to get out of trouble, that's what you're going to do next time something goes wrong. Thinking, the framework in which we think, that shapes what we do. And that's why Paul says here, the first step to not conforming to the world, the first step to being transformed, the first step to being a living sacrifice and having a life that is holy and pleasing to God, the first step, it's renewing our minds. And look what happens when you do. Second half of verse 2, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. He's saying there that when we actually do live a transformed life, when we aren't conformed to the pattern of the world, we'll actually see how good a life that, that really is. That the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That having been released from the conformity to the world, having been released from the the slavery of endlessly chasing after the stuff that the world says we need, after always feeling content because of all the things that we don't have that the world tells us that we do need to have, after escaping from the cultural addictions of having to be popular and having to behave and look a certain way. uh, When we uh, we don't conform to the world, we will know how wonderful God's will is actually is. In the sense that we'll understand how it is uh, that God, the way God wants us to live really is extraordinary and liberating and uh, uh, and wonderfully free. But it all starts at verse 2, by the renewing of our minds. The renewing of our minds. Do you reckon that might be the exact reason why your life is not as transformed as it could be? I mean, how different is your lifestyle to the non-Christian neighbours around you? The stuff you own, the holidays you go on, the things... How different really are we? Why aren't we more different? Maybe the problem is that we're not working hard enough to renew our minds. You know, we sit in our chairs in front of a screen and we're bombarded by advertising and marketing and pop culture and all the time being told by the mass media and our peer pressure what's important and how we should be living and why we need this and why we should do this and and unless we're counteracting all that stuff hitting us unless we're trying to counteract that by, by reading God's word and thinking about God's word and talking with each other about God's word unless we're doing that in a substantial way we are just going to be flooded and overrun with the bombardment from the mass media of of materialism and individualism and pleasure-seeking that our world is always promoting to us. Maybe now is the perfect time to resurrect the private Bible readings that have fallen into disarray as the years gone on. Okay, Maybe now is the perfect time to start up the family devotions again. Maybe now is the perfect time to, to actually get that Christian book that you bought ages ago but you've never read. Now's the time to pick it up and start reading it. Maybe now's the time to commit back to a growth group that you started out with good intentions, but as the years go on, it's just sort of run down a bit. And look, I know that these are the sort of things that we're always promoting here at DPC, but that's because they're the sort of things we need to be doing if we're going to be serious about renewing our minds. Because living in view of God's mercies, being a living sacrifice in all that we do, not conforming to the world but being transformed, these are all things that are going to take effort. These are going to take concentration. I read a crazy story the other day about a woman in Europe who drove for over 900 miles to get to a destination to pick up a friend uh, that was actually only 90 miles away, but she went the way she did because that's where her GPS told her to go. It's the equivalent of driving to Orange to pick up a friend, but driving to Orange via Melbourne because that's what your GPS told told her to do. She was gone so long the sun alerted the police and when she finally turned up at the destination she simply lamely said I was distracted so I just kept driving. I saw all these kinds of traffic signs first in French and then in German and finally in Croatian. Uh, I don't know, I just kept driving because I was distracted. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But I wonder if that sort of what we're doing in our Christian lives. You know, we've got this vague, general idea that where we want to go, we've we sort of got this vague feeling that we want to go and we want to live to please God, but at the same time, we're just so distracted by the worries of the world and the trials of this life. And we get so distracted and preoccupied by all the bells and whistles over here that the world wants us to have and is telling us to have. And that in the end all we're really doing is just faffing around on this sort of vague, absent-minded route. That is so not what these verses are talking about. These verses are talking about having an edge, a cutting edge, and a direction and a purpose in our lives as we live in view of God's mercies to us in Christ. These verses are talking about a radical change to our lifestyle that will that'll set us apart from the world. These verses are talking about a revolution to the way we now live because of what God has done for us. That in everything we do, How we treat our wives. How we talk about our husbands. How we raise our children. How we choose our friends. How we weigh up ideas. What books we read. How we spend our money. What we talk about. How we use our free time. In everything. We ask ourselves... Is what I'm doing being shaped by the mercies of God to me? Is what I'm doing helping me be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Is this what I'm doing? Is this this a transformed act? Or am I being conformed to the world? We test everything we do. All the time like that because we live in view of God's mercy and God himself deserves nothing less I'll pray Father by your word, by your spirit please keep doing your good work in us help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might be fully pleasing and holy to you Father, we thank you that you have given us a church family. You've surrounded us with brothers and sisters in Christ to help us do that individually and corporately. Father, we pray that early church would be known as a church family and community that is distinctive in its love for one another and its love for you so that we might truly be living sacrifices. Amen.